Welcome to Conversations from the Edge with Service Logic, your educational podcast where we discuss the ins and outs of the HVAC and mechanical service industry. Find out how we can help you increase efficiency and how we deliver excellent service in the real world. Welcome to Conversations from the Edge, brought to you by Service Logic. I'm your host, Sean Heath. There are an awful lot of ins and outs to building management. It is such a complex series of events and behaviors and relationships that have to take place that I really don't think you can run out of topics to talk about on a podcast. Today, I have the privilege of having another conversation with my friend Greg Crumpton. He's the Vice President of Critical Facilities for ServiceLogic. And today, we also welcome Carrie Getz, a Principal and Chief Technology Officer for Strategicom. Carrie, how are you today? Great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Greg, my friend, how did your trip go? Well, it was great, Sean. We're, uh, we're, we're still jet-lagging a bit, but uh, glad to be home, but a uh, super vacation. Well needed. You know, I'm always interested when I have a chance to talk to you, Greg, because the ecosystems that exist, specifically in building management, are really complex, but they're not that hard to manage if you just take a moment and focus on the things that really matter. One of the components that I know Carrie deals with an awful lot is the blending of ecosystems and IT. So Carrie, if you would start us off today, can you tell me a few of the misconceptions that people generally have about ecosystems and their relationship with IT? I think ecosystems is really sort of an oxymoron, right? We know that it's an ecosystem, but people don't treat it that way. Budgets are still very much siloed. There is still kind of a component where facilities does their thing and IT does their thing, but nobody really treats it as a cohesive ecosystem, which is really unfortunate because there's a lot of power waste that happens and, you know, nobody wants to be that guy that's responsible or that girl when something goes down. So the idea is just to throw redundancy at everything when realistically, if you looked at the ecosystem and understood what the IT load needs, you probably don't need all of that anyway. IT designates a specific role or the idea of a role. When you are implementing a new system, how do you set about establishing everyone's roles? Well, I think that varies company to company. The more forward-thinking companies take that as a holistic approach. So if anything comes into the data center or anything comes into the building as a whole, everybody signs off. Facilities signs off. Same thing if it's going to a colo. You know, they make sure that all of the capacity is there, all of the monitoring is there. But in reality, that's more the exception than the rule, which is super unfortunate, I think, right now in this industry because we have the tools, we have AI coming online to solve a lot of that problem, but people just really either don't have the time to figure it out or don't quite get it, or in some cases it's just that technology is moving faster than the knowledge of the people that need to use it. The, the IT, the speed of IT development and infrastructure development is outpacing the human's ability and in some cases, unfortunately, their willingness to keep up with technology or at least learn the new technology. And we, we talk about that a lot within the industry. 
People approach the installation and implementation of systems within existing systems in different ways. Everybody has a different way they try and approach it. And not all of those alternate ways are, what's the word that I can use uh, that is nice? Cool and copacetic. (laughs) I know for a fact that you have a story that you like to tell, Carrie, about a friend, an amp probe, and a new data center. Can you go into that absolute, I want to say it's a nightmare. That's the nicest way I can describe it. I still can't believe this story, and I've read it three times. <laughs> well, this actually was a customer um, who turned into a friend because I saved their collective derriere. But they were t- building a new building and putting in a data center-ish um, in the new building. And in order to figure out what their power requirements were, they had somebody go stick an amp probe on a line and decide that that's all the power they needed. And that's what they turned over to the engineering house to do the design for the power and cooling in the space. And of course, you know, if, if you start cooling data loads, there's more than just dropping an air conditioner in the end of the room. And the aisles actually were opposite of the direction they needed to be for airflow. So, the cabinets themselves would have cut off the airflow before it actually hit the room because there was no raised floor and it was so undersized, it probably would not have run the day they turned it up. And so I said, you know, well, have you looked at your IT kit? Have you figured out what the draw is for the different servers and storage and everything that's going in there? And he said, no, we just used an amp probe. So I said, I tell you what, send me a list of your equipment and I'll go out there and pull the loads, which you know, you don't use the power ratings on your tags on the back of your equipment because that's safety numbers. You'll never hit that. But, you know, you can go out to most of the manufacturer's websites now and they'll tell you what the real power numbers are. And this thing was so undersized. It was ridiculous. And then when we gave the real numbers over to the engineer, the engineer backed out of the project because he had no idea how to engineer for something um, you know, with the power requirements that were there and in the space provided. And he said, you know, if, if they couldn't give him a proper computer room, he was out. So it ended up being, yeah, quite the fiasco. But thankfully, it was all discovered prior to the building being built and prior to the data center going live or, you know, probably would have spontaneously combusted. Who knows? That really shows the importance of knowing who you're working with and who can do what. Well, I mean, it shows two things. One, it shows that if you don't have a clear understanding of what you need to specify, you have no reason to specify that. So it's partially on the engineer for sure, but also partly on the end user because the end user had a complete misunderstanding of how things worked. And he had a buddy that was an electrician that said, yeah, I'll come hook an amp probe up to it. That'll be all you need, which, you know, compute load varies. Sometimes you hit the max, sometimes you hit the very lowest, which is why, you know, I, I tell people, if you're going to do a study of ways to optimize your data center or, you know, you're going to look at PUE, you can't do a snapshot in time because you're going to have a very different compute load at end of month processing, for instance, than you're going to have during the regular compute cycle. And so you really need to be able to trend that over a period of time, especially if you're trying to use that for future predictions or capacity. Greg, you've been awfully quiet over there. I know you're jet lag, but I'm going to bring you into this. Um, You deal with a lot of partners and you have a reputation for being someone who's somewhat obsessed with detail. 
what peace of mind does service logic get when you have an opportunity to work with someone who is as detail focused as Carrie is and Strategicom is? Well, I, I think that, you know, going back to what Carrie said, uh, the, the responsibility of, of that near catastrophe fell on the engineer and on the end user. Uh, I think that that just showcases how much our networks are worth, our, our personal and, and uh, in industry network of people so that you know who to bring in and, and make sure that you're asking the right questions. And if you're not, allow them to ask those questions on your behalf. So I think that's half of the equation there is making sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, but th as far as the detail goes, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I am like that. And I, I think that's my wife may beg to differ, but I think that's one of my better <laughs> traits. But, you know, I think that we as service logic in, in our 30 some odd operating companies, you know, we have different niches around the country of doing different things. But the, the companies that, that are part of our, uh, you know, family of companies that are mission critical focused understand, you know, we're not cooling a data center. We're removing heat from the data center. This, that nuance right there can put that end user uh, in a comfortable position of knowing that the, the people that they have chosen to partner with or, or it, it just spitball, uh, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about building a new data center. So making sure that they've got the right people in their inner circle is key. And that, that's where we try to be is we try to be that resource. Well, and, and as you said a while ago, how, how far up into the conversation can you go? Well, you, you want to be there for that first conversation so that you start setting um, uh, expectations early. And you're also, while you're explaining those expectation setting requirements, you're finding out more and more detail uh, about what, what is the site? Is it a DR site? Is it a production site? So you're getting all that detail as you go to help build that formula uh, right out of the gate the first time. Yeah, and Greg brings up a really good point. You know, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it, right? And there are, we all know it in the industry, there are people that have engineered the exact same data center for 30 years. The only thing that's different is the size of the space and the number of crack units. And there's so much new technology out there. And, you know, it's not just what you need from a capacity standpoint. It's where that data center sits, how to take advantage of maybe outside air cooling or... You know, there's a lot of different ways to remove that heat. If you're doing, you know, really high capacity, you might want to do rear door heat exchangers, for example, or something, you know, that's different. And if you're not dealing with a company that's up on the latest and greatest in what your options are, then you don't get any options. I'm going to bring up what I feel is probably on a list of curse word jar words for carry and that is outages that seems to be a trend that i don't know if they happened more previously and we're just more aware of them or more connected now so we get news of these outages but they do seem to be occurring a little more often carry are these outages outliers or were they preventable yes <laughs> um, outages are always preventable but throwing additional redundancy in an outage is not always the best way to go. So in some cases you'll see where an outage happened and it was, 
completely a risk-based decision. So for instance, you know, maybe a company decided they didn't need to replace their switch gear, even though it was end of life because it served them well and they didn't want to take a downtime hit for that particular replacement. And then they got an arc flash and it went out anyway. Sometimes it's stupid human tricks where, you know, maybe was somebody was supposed to do a no load test on a generator and did a load test on a generator. I had a customer that actually happened to, and it fried their whole data center. Um, but there's different things. So, you know, outages, we can only do the best that we can do to plan for them. It's, it's kind of like in the security realm, right? It's like radar guns and radar detectors. You always try to stay ahead of what could cause an outage. And there's industry accepted best practices. I think that it's a little difficult in some cases to learn from other people's outages because they don't always disclose what caused it. But, you know, I do think that without a doubt they happen. And the more that you move to somebody else's facility where they control everything, the less control you have over what that outage could be. And in some cases, you know, I think it's important to understand the contract moving into those facilities. If they're, if that contract says they're going to give you a best effort or if they're going to guarantee a certain SLA and, you know, it's, but yeah, you're right. I mean, when they happen, they're loud, they're public Everybody talks about them, especially if it's one of the big cloud providers. Their, you know, their competition is more than happy to make sure that that's well disclosed in the industry. But they, you know, outages happen. I mean, it, it, it's a fact of life. But if you have your redundancy, and, and really this is where IT comes in. If IT has done their job and they fail over to other sites, then you can minimize the impact of that outage. But if you put all your eggs in one basket and the handle breaks you know, you're going to be scrambling, right? When you run uh, into a situation where a customer does have gear that's coming to end of life, what's the calculus that you use to show them the cost of replacement versus the cost of an outage? How do you quantify that for a customer? So I think there's a few things that come into play. Partially, you know, is that equipment fully depreciated? Um, and that's going to be where finance comes in because sometimes that's not the same equation. The other thing is looking at the risk. How much risk, you know, what is the downside if this goes down? Is it going to impact my entire facility? Is it going to impact a piece of my facility? You know, what is the risk factor there? And, and we see it all the time. You know, it used to be that equipment used to be great grammar there. Um, in the past, <laughs> so, you know, equipment had it was, you know, a three-year end of life. And companies have figured out that equipment, you know, at least on the IT, lasts much longer. So they look for much longer end of life. And it might be that patches disappear. It might be that support disappears. But there's an entire industry of people that do maintenance on end-of-life equipment and provide spare parts for end-of-life equipment. So I think the biggest thing that you need to do is the day you implement equipment, is figure out what that end of life cycle is going to be and make sure the budget exists to replace it or that you've at least done something to mitigate the risk if it goes down. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it all boils down to risk mitigation. Yeah, Kerry, I I agree with that. And, you know, my, my side of the house is mechanical and Sean, for us, end of life is, is, you know, we, we know that let's say a, 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 chill, a chiller that provides cold water uh, for this heat rejection process. We we 
can look at industry data and OEM data and know that, you know, that machine should run for 30 years. Well, at the 25th year, you really have to start talking to the owner uh, about capital budgets and you have to start talking about outage windows even then, uh, you know, that far in advance because there's so many things that, that happen over the course of that five-year period. Uh, leases and colo facilities can, can turn over. Uh, equipment refreshes from the end user. There, there's just a million pieces. And then you have the whole business continuity piece uh, so that if you do have an outage, how do you how do how are you able to sell cars you know over Labor Day weekend when your switchgear blows up? So there has to be some of these uh, worst case scenario doomsday people sitting in a room saying what if, and then you have to be able to answer that with a business continuity answer. So yeah, and I mean uh, Greg brings up a great point. You know that goes back to that whole ecosystem conversation. I led a. Um, a leaders lab for an industry organization not long ago. And one of the guys in there was from a certain airline and he had a hard time getting any money for any type of backup risk mitigation, you know, you know, it, his whole redundancy plan until another airline had a major outage and he got called into the CEO's office and said, how much do you need? Like it, it, a lot of times it's that smack in the face. You don't need backups until you need a backup kind of thing. But, you know, Greg brings up a great point. There's a lot of moving pieces and parts to that whole equation. And, you know, you might have to bring in swing equipment. You might bring up a facility temporarily. You might throw something in the cloud for a temporary basis. You know, if, if you don't want a longer term contract, you might, there's lots of ways you can get around those things, but it definitely takes all of the players in the poker game to make that happen. I think it's a, an accurate statement that it is usually much more expensive to be reactive than proactive. Oh, amen. Yeah. It always costs more on the back end than it does on the front end. It does, well, and stress. And <laughs> well, you think about it. I mean, it's just interruption of everybody's normal life, you know, the, from, from the staff, to the contractors that are going to have to support this outage. Everybody has, you know, and we talk about this often, Sean, is the, you know, the skills shortage and skills gap. When, when you have your labor planned a month or more in advance of where that labor is going to be on Monday, the 14th of November, and carries has a, a situation that occurs Sunday, the 13th, and you've got to have resources, that impacts that job where they were going to be uh, on Monday to go solve her problem on Sunday. So it's just a big moving, like, it, to me, it's like a jellyfish. You know, if you squeeze it here, it moves over here. If you squeeze it there, it goes up here. So it's just a, this big mass and, and a, a thing that's hard to get your hands around. So prevention is always the best bet. And yeah. I think you, you, you prevent by having these conversations early and often. And that includes operationally, that includes budget wise, that includes business continuity planning. And two, you know, to Greg's point, when you're doing that reactionary knee jerk, stupid decisions happen. You know, it might be a decision that something that changed doesn't get into uh, disaster recovery or business continuity plan. And then 
three years from now there's another outage and wait, that's not working the way it's supposed to. Why is that not updated? You lose all of that forward thinking strategy when you're just reacting. And, you know, in this industry, as fast as it moves, if you don't have that forward thinking strategy as your number one priority, you're going to be behind the curve anyway. And, you know, well, I, I was just going to add to that uh, the decisions that get made and then implemented during a crisis a lot of times are uh, un are, are not undoable very easily because you got the facility back up, but now okay you you've had this you know black eye either within the company or in the public's eye of an outage, and then in order to undo the temporary fix during the outage, now you got to have another outage. Um, and, you know, planned outages are all, uh, you know, obviously better, but those little decisions that, okay, we should have had another breaker or another valve or another fiber cable or another fiber route, but we didn't. So we had to do this, this temporary duct tape model and then to unduct tape it later oh man, that can be just as brutal. And then if you don't document properly during the crisis mode, which most people don't because, you know, they've got to get this site back up, that lack of documentation in four months, you're like, okay, what did we do Sunday the 13th when we had the outage? And the guy who was... No sleep. Or, or, yeah, or... or they moved on, you know, they're not even with your company anymore. So you're losing that tribal knowledge by not documenting properly. So there's just, and and Sean, that's where my OCD detail comes in. You have to document as you go, even in crisis so that you can undo it when times are back at at more of a normal clip. Yeah. You know, like they say, you can fix anything with duct tape except a bad marriage, but you know, sometimes that (laughs) duct tape, which is supposed to be a temporary fix ends up being, semi-permanent to almost permanent. You know, I wasn't going to bring up the phrase duct tape because I know how chief technology officers get when engineers start talking about duct tape. It kind of causes all, you know, the migraine to start. I I do want to wrap up today asking Carrie a question about the myth of the magical outlet. What is a misconception that people have about outlets? So... (laughs) Just because it's it's like checks. Just because you have checks in your checking account, that doesn't mean you still have money. So outlets work exactly the same way. You can go around your house and you can plug power strips into every single power outlet. And that's fine until you start plugging things into those power outlets. And then you can absolutely throw a breaker. I mean, there is a capacity that is not tied to the number of outlets. And I would say also on the flip side of that, Having all of those outlets, there's a phantom power problem and you lose some of your capacity just through, you know, phantom power. It's, I mean, you're, you're burning some uh, electricity just through phantom power. So you go into data centers a lot and you'll see that somebody has a cabinet that's a 2KW cabinet and they've put in a power strip that has 50 power strips because, you know, someday they might. <laughs> But if you can't turn those outlets out, then you do have some power loss just, you know, by distributing power. It's the physics of the thing. But, yeah, I would say that uh, probably the biggest 
misconception is just because they're there doesn't mean you can plug something into it and it'll go. There's a, there is a such thing as capacity planning. Another aspect of that is just because you can plug something in doesn't mean that you can cool it. Absolutely true. Yeah. There's, um, you know, there's, there's an equation, there's a, that you sort that out, you know, and and it's a moving target. You're not going to have the same amount of power draw and the same cooling needs every day in the data center. And even with the server, like I said, you know, we talked earlier about how the loads vary at different times of the month. They are going to spin up and slow down and spin up and slow down. And with virtualization, it helps to be a bit more of a steady load because you sort of plan that on the CPU cycles. But, you know, you, you have to actually manage those numbers so that you can have a more efficient facility. Today on Conversations from the Edge, which of course is brought to you by ServiceLogic, I have had another of my favorite opportunities to get smarter, as my friend Greg Crumpton knows I love. He's the Vice President of Critical Facilities at ServiceLogic. Greg, thanks so much for coming on today. Well, Sean, thanks for having us. And, you know, I, I, just to, to wrap up the, the thoughts, you know, early opt-in conversations about important things that affect your IT are, are some of the most paramount conversations you can have. So, Embrace it, have the conversations with the right people, and get them on on the bus. Also today on the podcast, I've had the pleasure of meeting and having a conversation with Carrie Getz, the Principal and Chief Technology Officer for Strategic Comm. Carrie, thank you so much. This has been really cool. I love getting nerdy. Thanks, yeah. And like Greg said, you know, plan now, pay later. And honestly, if you have to hire somebody to fill in the blanks of what you don't understand, It pays to do your due diligence, it pays to plan early, or you're absolutely going to pay later and it's going to be not a very good price. Well, I definitely have enjoyed having a conversation with both of you, Greg and Carrie. Thanks so much. I hope you both have a wonderful day and I look forward to talking to you both again soon. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Sean.